1: The Bruce Hooley Show podcast is brought to you by Hemisphere Coffee Creating jobs and restoring dignity one cup at a time. Good coffee doing good. Learn more at Hemisphere Coffee Well, the snit between the Columbus Board of Education, as your school board for Columbus City Schools, and the Columbus Education Association, that's your teachers, Uh, something consequential may happen tomorrow. They are both returning to the bargaining table uh, at the request of a federal mediator. Now, uh, you have followed this, I'm sure, over the past week where we're getting ready for the start of school on August the 24th and the teachers are not happy. They have a list of demands and they say that the board is not being receptive to their list of demands. And, of course, the board says baloney to that. The board has filed an unfair labor practices charge against the Teachers Association. So I was intrigued. I was intrigued. In a city where we have uh, nothing but ineffectual Democrats on the city council, in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, how did we get a school board full of conservative Republicans. Because if you are the Columbus Education Association and you can't get along with your school board, it's pretty clear to me that somehow in a city that stinks of Democrats, Zach Klein, Andrew Ginther, Shannon Harden, the entirety of city council, how did a bunch of conservative Republicans get elected to the Board of Education? So I thought what I would do is I would go back and see What kind of a school board would the Columbus Education Association prefer to be negotiating with? Who do they wish was on the board that they had not previously endorsed? And what I found out was somewhat surprising. Dateline November the 3rd, 2021. It would be last fall. School board elections all over the state of Ohio. Big walnut Elected three conservatives. Uh, Dublin, they got one or two. UA got one or two. Jonathan Alder got two. Out in Pickerington, they got a couple. Hilliard, they got two. Maybe the Columbus Board of Education was overrun by conservatives in the year of Glenn Youngkin. Then I found this. From the Columbus Education Association's own website. They issued a release on November the 3rd, 2021, day after the election. And this is the headline. Columbus teachers celebrate school board election victories. Our schools are not for sale. Here's what the story said. The Columbus Education Association, the union representing more than 4,000 Columbus teachers, celebrates tonight's education election results. For three seats on the Columbus City School Board of Education, which showed that CEA endorsed candidates, Michael Cole, Ramona Reyes, and Christina Vera, all won election. So everybody they endorsed got elected. They got the board they wanted. And they still aren't happy. Here's a quote from CEA President John Caneglio: Columbus residents want a school board that will champion our students and public education. Our schools are not for sale. Well, uh, maybe the board, John, took that statement from you and took it to heart and decided, you know what? John Caneglio says our schools are not for sale. Maybe we shouldn't give in to every demand, every whim of the Columbus Education Association. I heard Regina Fuentes of the CEA the other day talking about the burden upon teachers. And one of the burdens she talked about was that when you fill out a report card as a teacher, there are 58 different things you have to evaluate before you can give, or complete, I should say, complete an elementary school grade card, 58 things you have to evaluate. And she was saying, you know, that's just uh, just cumbersome and just onerous and tedious. And it forces teachers to put in extra hours to do the job. Now, that intrigued me because I'm thinking to myself, are teachers not salaried employees? And they are. They are salaried employees. They are paid a salary, a negotiated, collectively bargained salary, for 12 months. And having been a salaried employee for a large part of my professional life, this is how it works, for those of you who may not know. You negotiate a salary, and you get that salary. And if you are going to get overtime, you negotiate the overtime. And then... That's the end of your compensation. Whatever you collectively bargain, that is written out, stipulated in writing. And you can't go back to them later and say, hey, I know I'm paid X amount of dollars to do the job in my salaried position. Doesn't say I work 40 hours a week. Doesn't say I work 48. Doesn't say I work 32. Just says, I'm paid this to do this. And here are the things that I'm supposed to do to fulfill my job under my provided salary. And guess what? If you can do those things in 40 hours, which is usually the case, okay, everybody's happy. But, but, but if you miscalculate in the collective bargaining process and you're going to need a lot more time to do your stipulated duties and you think you should be paid more for doing those stipulated duties, then the time to set that up and take care of that and dot the I's and cross the T's on that is before you sign your contract. And I would guess that it's not a surprise to teachers that they have to evaluate students and issue a grade for what those students do. And if you didn't look to see how long it's going to take you to complete a grade card for an elementary school student, well, you know whose fault that is? That would be the person's fault who looks back at you from the mirror every morning. That would be your fault or that would be the fault of your union leadership. But when I hear that you have to put in, in your mind, extra hours, which is a concept that does not apply to a salaried position, by the way, when I hear that you have to put in extra hours to complete your tasks, you know what I say as a citizen and a taxpayer? Don't you get the summers off? And don't you get a salary during the summer? I believe you do. How many of you work second jobs in the summertime? Which, bully for you, I'm all about doubling up. And being a capitalist and adding to your bottom line and hopefully contributing to your retirement account and all that bully for you. But you know what I don't have for you? An iota of sympathy that the requirements of your job cause you at some points in your working calendar to put in more than 40 hours because you are paid a salary in July, August the back half of June, and you're not in the classroom. You're getting paid, and you're not going to school. And that's a part of your deal, and bully for you, you negotiated it, and the boards of education across Ohio went for it, and okay, fine. I'm not asking you. You know, when you go get a job doing whatever you do in the summertime, working at a restaurant, painting houses, working for a moving company, consulting for a college, do you have to give that back? To the schools who are also sending you a check for being a teacher, do you have to give that back? I don't think you do. In fact, if you had to, I I would support you in railing against that and fighting against that. Because, you know what, that's not in your contract. You shouldn't have to do that. But I guess it's in your contract, my guess is it's in your contract, that you have to do all the things that are required of you in your particular school system to evaluate students and give them grades. And so if you have to put in an extra hour beyond the time the bell goes off in the afternoon, that's how it works. That's how it works. And let me just say, I don't for a second believe that your top demand is average class size or full-time art, music, and phys ed teachers or even air conditioning in the schools, as uncomfortable as I am absolutely sure it would be, to teach in a school building in august when humidity is such like it has been the last couple days i don't believe any of those are your top priority i do believe however that if the board of education sits down at the meeting with you tomorrow all those people you endorsed by the way in the school board election and they look at your list of demands and they go "Mm, class size air conditioning art music full-time Oh, I see here on the on the on the list of demands, the last one is a 26% raise. A 26% salary raise. You know what? Done. If we give you the salary raise, are we okay on the class size? Are we okay on the AC? Are we okay on the not adding full-time recess teachers? Call me crazy, but I'm betting if you got the 26%, you'd say deal. In fact, I'm betting if you got 15%, you'd say deal. Because I'm betting you asked for about twice of what you're willing to settle for. See, this is not my first rodeo. And I hope that it's not the first rodeo of the board members that you endorsed who you now sit in opposition to. You got the board you wanted. If you don't get the deal you wanted, I don't feel sorry for you. I started the show today by talking about the raid on Miralago and that it's not really about Trump. It's about hatred. It's about, of course, their hatred of Trump. Why do they hate Trump? They hate Trump because they hate you. Why do they hate you? They hate you because they hate America. And why do they hate America? They hate America because the foundational underpinnings of America are Christian principles, the Judeo Christian principles. And the Democrats hate that. Because that's a higher authority. A higher authority than themselves is a higher authority that must be eradicated. Must be removed. Must be marginalized. It must be demonized. Proof of that is evident in an editorial today in the Columbus Dispatch by a local attorney named Jack D. Aurora. Uh, The story says he is a partner with the B. Hall Law Group. I don't know, Mr. D. Aurora, but I know this. If you hire an attorney, you want them to be about truth and virtue. And Mr. D. Aurora, and I presume his law group, uh, have a blind spot when it comes to that. Because he is writing about the Newman Center on campus and the new Catholic Archbishop in charge of it, Bishop Earl Fernandez. Now, Bishop Fernandez came in here in May, and a big brouhaha ensued because he told the Paulist priests at the Newman Center that they needed to start following the truth of Scripture. Now, you might think, well, that's scandalous, a Catholic priest or any pastor or minister who would not follow Scripture. But see, we've gotten to a point in our country Where we treat truth as if it is an item on an all-you-can-eat buffet. And the items that appeal to you, you say, yeah, I like that. I like being able to say, uh, God bless America. It sounds good. I don't really have to think through it too deeply. I like being able to say that God loves everyone. I don't like the stuff in the Bible or the stuff on the buffet about morality. I don't like the stuff on the buffet about God being the ultimate authority and having all authority under heaven and on earth. Uh, So Mr. D. Aurora's plate does not include the morality piece of the puzzle because he is advocating in this opinion piece how unfair it is that Bishop Earl Fernandez came in here and looked at what the palace priests were doing at the Newman Center, smiling upon the LGBTQ agenda. And so let me share with you how this lack of respect for truth, lack of adherence to truth, lack of submission to God's ultimate authority in all things, manifests itself in Mr. D. Aurora's editorial. He says that Bishop Fernandez came in, he met with the palace priests, and what the bishop offered was oppressive. Yes, I'm quite sure that the idea of obedience, submission, is oppressive to those on the left and to those who would like to reserve whatever part of their life does not comport with scriptural truth, they would like to maintain the ultimate authority over that. So obedience is viewed as oppressive. He said the bishop would permit only two of the four palace priests to remain, but only as chaplains who would report to the bishop's new executive director. Ah, ah, submission, Also, not a popular concept to those who struggle with the other concept I talked about, obedience. Supervision is a part of submission, and supervision is not popular either. He said the palace would be allowed to preach and hear confessions, but would require permission before performing weddings and funerals. I wonder why that is. Why would the uh, bishop want oversight on what kind of weddings they performed? Well, I bet you can guess. I bet you can guess. I bet you can. Yes, he probably would have said uh, yes to this wedding, man and woman. No to this wedding, two men. No to that wedding, two women. Because marriage, again, we're back to the obedience piece. According to God, is a man and a woman forever. Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Uh, Jack Diarro says that Bishop Fernandez's attitudes and actions reflect anything but an open attitude. And on that, I agree with you, Jack. Because someone who is obedient does not have an open attitude. Someone who's on obedient has an attitude of, here we go again, submission. He says... The bishop referred to our members, some 800 Ohio State students and 600 residents of greater Columbus, as children who are upset with parental discipline. Pretty accurate. How is it that the bishop imagines himself to be a parent? Uh, Jack, walk through the Holy Scriptures. You will see a preponderance of the use of the term father. So I don't think the bishop is out of line in calling to mind that imagery. He says, Bishop Fernandez's actions speak of arrogance, a profound lack of consideration for his people, and a condescending attitude. He has provided us with a shining example of how not to be an effective leader. I don't actually know on that. He has set forth clear expectations and established in advance consequences for the violation of those expectations, which is a characteristic of all effective leaders. Mr. Dioro says the Newman Center will now likely be less inclusive. It will endeavor to attract conservative groups such as Focus and Opus. Focus advocates that gay individuals live chaste lives. And Opus states that homosexual acts are intrinsically disordered. You know who else states that? Now, the Apostle Paul states that in his letter to the Romans and in his letter to the Corinthians. He states that, Jack, here's my suggestion. Since I paid you the courtesy of reading your editorial, do me the courtesy of reading Romans 1, starting in verse 18, all the way to the end of the chapter. Read it and see if you recognize the world you live in now and the world you advocate for. It's not the way things